Welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello everyone, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear Magazine's editor, joined today by Rowan Horncastle and Tom Wookie Ford. And it's one of those podcasts where we've done something so special that we couldn't possibly bundle this story in with a load of other stuff. It deserves an entire podcast all to itself. Um, and really, this is, this Tom, this is your story because you've basically had the day out of a lifetime. Or maybe it's one of those trips that seems fantastic on paper and was a bit more stressful in real life. I don't know. You're going to tell us. It was actually a bit of both. It was both of those things all wrapped up in one. It was basically, we got invited. It's the, it's the anniversary of Lamborghini this year. And um, we got invited out to go and play with Lamborghini's historic fleet, essentially. And then you said... I know, Wookie, what we need to do is drive all of the mid-engine V12s in a day uh, and get full imp- impressions and a full shoot on every single car, but you've only got about 10 hours to do it um, and uh, about 300 Italian people to get involved, even though they didn't have anything to do with what we were actually doing. Yeah, because I'm basically a 12-year-old. And when there's an opportunity to drive as many Lamborghinis as possible, you got to take it. It was like a challenge. It was like, how many Lamborghini, classic Lamborghinis can you drive in a day? Believe me, I can drive a lot. But this was like a proper, like, pinch yourself. No one gets this opportunity. Like, I don't, I'm not even sure you have to be the hardest of hardcore Lambo collectors to be able to drive all of these cars. Bob Wallace, Valentino Bamboni, they haven't had all of these together. It is. It was insane. Well, that was the point, because, you know, as part of the 60th anniversary celebrations, they were dusting off all these um, historic cars they've got in the museum, making sure they were running properly, and then sort of prepared... (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll come to that. that. In theory, running properly. And so, you know, it's interesting. The the listeners back at home may just believe that we click our fingers and get any collection of any cars, old, new, together in any location we want. But it's not really like that. And to get together... Um, the full bloodline of um, uh, of V12 Lamborghinis, uh, it's an opportunity that it seems like an obvious idea, but it's not, not obvious or easy to actually pull off in reality. I mean, how much would you pay for that? Mm. If it was like a red letter day thing or other letter days are available, how much would you actually pay to be able to go Green letter days. <laughs> <laughs> it's a completely uh, different thing. It's, 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 it's a lot, know, isn't it? You'd you could imagine it, sixty quid, sixty quid. I think I'd pay. You could imagine it. Uh, you could imagine it at one of those charity charity auctions, and it's just the highest bidder. You've got, you know, you got two supercar fans, there, two Lambo fans outbidding each other. You know, waving their checkbooks around. Checkbooks? Does anyone still have? No, checkbooks? nobody has checkbooks anymore. <laughs> but you would pay thousands upon thousands of pounds for that. It's <laughs> just waving yeah. a checkbook, and then they paid in chickens. It's not a barter <laughs> system. But yeah, it was. I mean, it was one of those ones where it was a bit of a pinch yourself moment. And then you go out and you go, well, if they're offering everything, what do you drive? Because if you think about all the crazy stuff that Lamborghini's made over the years, there's quite a few things, quite a few directions you could go in. But we specifically decided on mid-engined V12, the stuff that's, you know, there are Vueltos coming out 
later this year. Yeah. It was the cars that led to Revuelto. So we we specifically went for that because there are, I mean, there are obviously other V12 Lamborghinis, you know, there's the LM002, the Cheetah and all that kind of stuff. But we went for mid-engined. I did sneak in a couple of others, but we can always talk about those later. Yeah, yeah. And did you, and, and, and I suppose, um, just to peel back the curtain a little bit more, that one of the reasons... We went for the V12 bloodline as well, was because of the Revuelto, and we managed to twist their... Did, you didn't manage to have a drive in the new one, did you? No, they were very, very, very watchy when I was there. It was like the keys were removed. Someone else has to drive it past me. They weren't allowed to get out of the driver's seat while I was present in case I... I mean, I was going to jump in on his lap and just press the accelerator. Your reputation precedes you. 10 yeah. yards in a revuelto. Um, but they knew that I was angling for it and they were not keen on letting me near it. Um, I did see several of them in different colours and I saw them moving around the factory and um, it's definitely a V12 Lamborghini still. Yeah, yeah. just just to give everyone a bit of background. So the revuelto, that's the next, this is the next generation of, of Lamborghini. It's the 1,000 horsepower, still V12 engines, hybrid Yeah, it's Lamborghini. got three motors. Mm. So it's about it's about 800 horsepower from the V12, and then it's got another couple of hundred, 220 brake horsepower from three motors, two at the back and one at the front, giving four-wheel drive. And it has no reverse gear. It's just one of the electric motors reversed, which I found I, it's a geeky thing, but I quite like that. Yeah, it's basically the most Lamborghini take on a plug-in hybrid, which is basically do what we've always done again and then just stick some electricity on the top. Just so it, we can talk about it. It was that. interesting talking to them though, because they were they were really set. The guy that does their drivetrain, he's that I think the guy's called head of vehicle movement. He, he's called uh, David uh, Bizarri, and he was talking about how he's made that car feel absolutely natural. Like the whole thing was making the car feel natural, like it doesn't feel like it's got loads of electric help. So he was all basically he spent about two hours just winding me up, wanting to drive it. <laughs> like just you'd really like this it's really good on snow i was like right well there's a feature just give yeah. me the car yeah. um it was really it was really good fun but then they sort of said well if you want to learn know about this car you've got to drive all of these so we got we got shipped up to a little uh a little hotel up in the mountains and I didn't really know what was going on until i walked outside the next morning and they just lined up every car from my childhood in one go the posts were real it was it was really weird that's like some sort of very sweaty dream that has just come real it's, oh uh... you'd have loved it you'd <laughs> absolutely love it but it's like there were a couple that really drew my eye and don't forget i'm old so i've my the first ever lamborghini i drove was um, a diablo vt so I, I do go back a little way with, with lamborghini and it was bright yellow and it had half a clutch and the office gave it to me in central London, and I had to drive that home to my parents' house where I then put it away and wouldn't take it out for fear of crashing it. And my dad thought I was a drug dealer. That's what happened. That's a hell of an introduction, straight into a Diablo. Yeah. Isn't it, though? Yeah. And it was manual, so it was not the easiest car to drive, especially not through central London. That's the Lamborghini experience. You want it to be yellow. You want it to have half a clutch. You want it to be scary. You want (laughs) it to... be a supercar yeah it was a proper supercar and i thought all supercars forever would be like that which was terrifying incredibly fast and quite hard to drive and um compared to the modern stuff they, they are hard work you know they're a bit tractory but the 
that was my introduction, and I'd never really driven anything earlier than that, apart from an LM002, which is a tractor with a Countach V12 in it. Um, but the first car I got to drive, weirdly, was the first V12 that Lamborghini made, but it wasn't mid-engined. It's the 400 GT. So they made a 350 GT and a 400 GT, which is just a sort of slightly faster one. And it had a um, front-engined V12. Not a huge amount of horsepower, but the interior was like a cognac brown leather. Oh, yes, I saw that. I saw your selfie. Oh, it was yeah. the same colour as my forehead, <laughs> which was really exciting. And uh, I just tooled around in this thing, thinking, and in the Italian sunshine, thinking I was Matt Monroe, pretending that I got Gina Lollabrigida parked next to me in the passenger seat, although there wasn't anybody there, unfortunately, uh, thinking it was the best thing in the world. I mean, they're not ergonomic. They're not particularly good the Italians of that period of, of making cars that are very comfy. But my God, it was fun to drive it. It's like a speedboat. It's also weirdly understated, though, for a Lamborghini, isn't it? It doesn't, my head doesn't, you don't know it's a Lambo. People don't know it is a Lambo. Yeah. No, nobody's got any clue. And I, I like that even more because it's a conversation starter. Like, obviously, people around Sant'Agata will know what it is. They tend to be a bit more keyed into that sort of stuff. But if you showed that to 99% of people, they wouldn't know it was a Lambo. And I l adored that car. Though you put your foot down and the nose goes up and the back goes down. You go around the corner and the whole thing leans over. It was like... It was like a speedboat, but it was really, really good fun. And then we started on the V12 mid-engine stuff. And um, a car that I, I've never driven, which was a Mura. And unless people... I mean, it's quite a famous thing, but at the time, people drove the Mura. And it was super powerful compared to the stuff that was around. It is super good looking. And it was dynamically, you know, a step above what they got. And journalists basically came up with a new word for it and that word was supercar so that's where we get the Mura is the actual genesis of the word supercar so that was it was really exciting and then a little bit scary because they're worth millions these days and this one was an SV so it was a special version of a Mura it was bright yellow and it was in it was driving it around Sant'Agata which is where they make Lamborghinis now that is there's a bit of pressure <laughs> involved yeah. in that Rowan, this is the point where you're going to say oh mira yeah, yeah i've driven one of those on the on the italian job road haven't you maybe i'll just step back i haven't driven it i thrashed one oh. i was very lucky to uh yeah have the day of day because uh, wiki you well, we can talk about this we're in the mura club it's a car that isn't happy isn't happy if you're just driving it pooting around slowly it wants to be driven hard no, that v12 engine really wants to kind of go it's happier at that speed but yeah it's the quintessential supercar for many reasons a because that v12 engine in the middle which was new and then been span around and was interesting for for ferruccio and everyone at the time but uh the shape the silhouette it's just stunning and has never aged and is pretty much perfection and when i spoke to the guys behind it and the designer you know he drew it once and that was it nailed it Mic drop, done. Uh, and then they just built it. Perfect. <laughs> probably, probably work on a napkin in the Lamborghini restaurant that they all go to next to the factory. You know, just a quick, yeah. yeah I went for that pasta. as well. A quick sketch on a napkin. Bosh, that looks pretty. Let's build it. Oh. The, the weird thing was we par I parked it next to a church halfway up a mountain 
and as the sun was sort of cresting round the side of the church's bell tower, and all these God's fingers of sunlight just lit up this yellow Lamborghini. It's actually, you can see the pictures in the magazine and online, but it looked like God was blessing the car. Was there a choir in the background crescendoing? It felt yeah. like there should be. It should have made a noise. But it didn't. It was. But Rowan's absolutely right. If you drive it slowly, it kind of coughs and gurgles and spits and doesn't really want to do it. And then as soon as you belt it and really rev the car, it just gets itself together. But the driving position, now I've been told about the driving position, and I'm quite a big guy. I'm sort of six foot odd. Rowan, you're about six foot three, aren't you? Two, yeah. Well, three did on a good day. <laughs> yeah, I did. No, I was a bit, I've been a bit of a weird shake because I'm a bit lanky, but the seat's... You're basically in a well, in a kind of a, a luxury sofa kind of lounging. It's good for. I've got poor posture, so I've kind of fitted it really well. Yeah, but you're offset massively. That'd work. Well, what I found was that your your legs have to be really short and your arms have to be really long. So I'd got my knees up round the bottom of the steering wheel, and my my arms are stretched right forward. So. You, you've got no, you've got no way of putting any leverage on the wheel, so you have to steer it from the top. But the car's so light, it doesn't really matter. Like you can still move the car around, but the the engine in the back is actually transversely mounted, so the car's got quite a, a short centre of gravity. It's really weird, but it feels more like. You remember when you first drove kind of Lotus Elises and things like that? They feel super light and super connected. That's what a Mura feels like. And you can imagine back in the 60s, you get in that and go, well, this is just a game changer. It's completely different to what was going on at the time. And driving, it was a privilege, but everybody around there in Italy yeah. just goes mad for that car. Like every, every time you stopped, it, it drew a crowd. More than anything else, probably I've driven a- anywhere because nobody thinks you're a <laughs> dick. Like... If you take a really flash modern supercar, some yeah. people will hate you for it. And if you get a Mura out in the hills in Italy, nah, you're pretty much a rock star. But that's 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 Italy and supercars all over, isn't it? They've got this kind of appreciation and passion, passion. for them that in central London, yeah. You probably won't. I think you still get away with it. I think you could get away with a bank job in a Mura. <laughs> Just because everyone would be like, wow, look, Mura looks cool. You wouldn't be able to carry any cash anywhere. Because there's no yeah. place to put anything. What about um, car most likely to get uh, stopped by the police for speeding in Italy, only to be let off because you let them have a sit in it? Yeah, or a selfie. That's yeah. You'd, you'd be absolutely yeah. fine with it. That was the one. That, that was the one that I think that was a meet your heroes and still be impressed moment. And I, I was just, I loved it. I had the exact same thought that it was just. I was. Uh, I was looking to be disappointed yes. by it in some ways because it was so old. But Almost then, teeing it up. The carbiness of it, the gurgliness of it. Yeah, it's The so fact good. that it still needed a bit of driving, but it wasn't hard to drive. But you still had to give it a bit of sympathetic, like it had some quirks and it needed a little bit of getting used to. It wasn't that you just got into it and went mental. You had to get used to that car. But once you did, it was brilliant. I wonder if there's quite a big variety. Obviously, now these are we're talking about very old cars. Now, um, you know, some are better look, looked after than others. I think it sounds like you drove a good one. Obviously, it's been looked after by the factory. But um, I, you know, you hear about people driving Countaches and 
oh, it was like ah. absolute beggar spanners ah. or, or another one where they say it was screwed together. Yeah, we need to talk about the Countach. Let's go. Um, because it was possibly the most horrible car to drive I've ever driven. <laughs> um, it was a 25th anniversary car. <laughs> And I think a lot of people are so... Imp- that was the one that was my bedroom wall car. And I think a lot of people, because they don't know how good cars of that era can feel in terms of, you know, if you drive a Lotus Esprit from that era, it's actually pretty good. The The Countach 25th anniversary that I drove was, from all usual parameters, really a bad thing. It was terrible. So they're really sensitive to tyre pressures. I think we, the tyre pressures were fine on this one. It's just a bad car. Completely unassisted steering. We were on Italian mountain roads, which isn't the best place to drive a car like that. Very wide, really wide rear tyres, bad ergonomics. Everything was grey plastic on the inside. It looked incredible. But to mm. drive, it was a pig. Unless you were going really fast at which point the engine felt amazing. It had a horrible gear stick that just looked like it was out of a Sierra. It was just bad. When you went quickly, it was fine. But the, like the clutch is very, very heavy. Not ridiculous, but very, very heavy. You're constantly fighting the steering, which means that you're concentrating on putting leverage into the steering rather than driving. And the gearbox is so clunky that the pauses between gears make it very difficult to do sweet shifts. So it's a it's a very physical car. And I think a lot of people get out of it and go, yeah, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's for real men. It's not. It's just bad. <laughs> like, stop yeah. showing off about how hard you are just because you drive a Countach. They're not very good. And then I had a great argument with the bloke from Lamborghini who said, and it was a fair point, he said, you've got to see it in context. So back in the day, that was still amazing. And these days you look at it and it's like, nah, I've driven stuff from that era before and they don't have to be that brutal. They just don't. Mm. And especially yeah. coming from something like the Miura, which got it all right without all of that. And it wasn't that down on power. No. So yeah, that was one. But every time I got out of it... and So were the looks enough to redeem yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is what I've got a, a little bit of experience because uh, we drove... Do you remember we had that LP400, which is the the you know the original Periscopio... Yeah version we had one of those at dunsfold and it wasn't a happy car some fluids may have been leaked from you or it uh, both <laughs> the uh mainly from the car though it was uh, it wasn't in, it wasn't in great shape but everything you said was true you, you spend your entire life fighting with the offset driving position with the you know the unassisted steering trying to find the right gear trying to maintain some momentum yeah, low speeds, it's just the engine's just grumbly, it's unhappy, but get a bit of speed under the tires and it starts to come alive. But it's not pleasurable. And what's interesting these days is cars tend to um continue to develop throughout their yeah, life that cycles. Didn't, did it? Yeah, well, it, it did. Well, it did, but it didn't. Like the, the Countach that we drove was a very late car. Yeah. So that was just before the Diablo appeared. That's what I'm saying. They they, they stuck a body kit on it. They kept us interested and they kept posters on your bedroom wall. But um, but yeah, they probably went, ah, you know, leave, leave the engine and gearbox as it is because it just, it sounds like it was a bit of a lost cause, the Countach. Well, it, the thing is, it was like their longest serving model. So it had been around for ages. You know, that V12 was pretty venerable at that point. It was a 5.7 litre, but it was just... It was just a car that was really hard work. And I think there's a machismo been built around Countach's. 
that they're, you know, they're special and they're really hard and they're difficult to drive. And it's just like, yeah, I kind of get it, but it wasn't something that I, I didn't relish the challenge. I just thought, and I could, I could drive it. It wasn't like I wasn't capable of driving it. I just thought it wasn't worth the, the effort. It felt like a prototype. It was, a, it was one of the last cars and it felt like an engine with a body kit bolted to it. And come at me, Lamborghini fans, because it's not <laughs> the best car Lamborghini has ever made by any stretch. Well, let's 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 move on to the Diablo though, because then that has some of this machismo you're talking about, and yet you know built into completely it, completely different. Yeah, although the one that we had was gold. I thought that was the best color. It was the best. There's there's a photo you sent of it um, going around a hairpin, just a beautiful view, sunset in the background, gold Diablo. I was like, yes, get that on my wall now. And it looked like an '80s advert for cocaine. <laughs> it was it was like that was that was where i think everybody sort of got together and it was one of the last true lamborghinis before audi took over but they that was a, again that was a late car that was a six liter se so it was a four-wheel drive car which isn't really four-wheel drive it's kind of the four-wheel drive vts are kind of it'll do 20 percent to the front wheels if you've got smoke pouring off the back wheels um, so it's not really that four-wheel drive. It, and they, the early ones didn't have any ABS or traction control or anything. So they would give you a bit of a reputation because they'll put you in a ditch. They're a bit like Italian TVRs. But the it, it was just so good compared to the Countach. I couldn't believe how good it was. Got this, it's got a gear stick, and I remember this, but it's got it's a dog leg first, so you, you pull back and to the left for first gear. But the, the gear stick has a, a ball on the end that's the size of a billiard ball, like a big stainless steel ball. And it sits in the... You have to hold it with your whole hand. And then you have to change gear with your entire right shoulder. Like, it doesn't do it with your forearm. You put your whole shoulder into that gear change. And yet, you can make it shift quite sweetly. It's still a big thunk. But it's not like the Countach, which was just, it felt like you were smashing bits of metal into each other. This was just a very agricultural gear shift. But it makes such a noise. And it looks like a, a proper spaceship that you just, I, I, that was the first time, I think, I remember driving it and feeling really intimidated when I drove one that first time. This time, I just, I thought it was brilliant. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. Huge traction and massive rear tyres. I mean, I think they're 335s or 345s on the back. So they're oil drum tyres. And it hunts cambers and it does all the stuff that you don't want it to do. But you get out of it and it's got the scissor doors and you walk away and you go, God, that's the coolest car on the, on, in the world. It's quite a simple shape as well. I still remember seeing one in North London years ago because what's interesting when we were sort of putting together this issue with all the V12 Lamborghinis is that everyone kind of has a favourite hairy Lamborghini based on when they were born. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's probably always exceptions to the rule. But for me, it's the Diablo was the one that was, you know, that was it. That was the pinnacle of supercarness when I was growing up. The Countach had kind of, it, it had had its time. Um and I remember seeing one in central London and just being just blown. I couldn't couldn't imagine anything more extreme could exist on the road. Mm. Um, and it's just always stuck with me. Nothing, nothing sort of come close to it. I, I, I loved it. That was probably my favourite car on the day, apart from the Miura. 
like the favorite the, the, the more modern stuff that was that was just a really good experience and it was pretty tight car as well so it was pretty well looked after but a gold lamborghini in the sunshine mm. rowan you're um you're you're a whippersnapper you, it's a mercia lago for you isn't it no <laughs> how dare you tar me with that brush yeah, no no but i was just about to say the diablo diablo um, just just walks that line what wonderfully what was i talking about those kind of juggling sticks that you used to do in your former life working I in never the circus juggle. but the it's that balance between you know not super classic like the other bits but not super modern and um at the top of my list of something to drive is a diablo sv uh it's just i i, I just think it's the, the the last of the kind of super analog really ballsy supercars but getting him on i'm so, i would be so intimidated but it's just as a challenge it just found seems fantastic i think you'd love it i genuinely think you'd love it because you really have to drive it and it won't help you out that much but it's not it's not it's not agricultural in the same way but i think they're easy to drive if you know how to drive cars i think they're very hard to drive quickly yeah but also how good must it be to go into that I, I, if I saw that the sun was setting, you had an incredible weather in the part of uh, Italy that you were in on that day, even though it was very early on. Walking up to a gold Lamborghini with those massive dish rear wheels, those two huge exhausts at the back, walking up to that and saying, that's my car, lifting the door up, slamming it down because they're not as assisted as they are nowadays, and then grabbing that, that, that gear lever to put it into first and driving off. God, you feel like a hero, I'm sure. I like the bit when you start it up and you, you, you turn it on and you can hear the fuel pumps priming. So that it whirs. It doesn't, like a lot of cars these days, they start and they're on. Or, you know, in a lot of the things we drive nowadays, they'll just prime the electric motor and then eventually the engine will start. This, you hear two big fuel pumps go, it's like a jet. And then it, when it's, it kicks, it just goes, bah! it sounds like a race car to me. It sounds exciting. You get excited before you've even tried to slot a gear. And I think the theatre of it, like you say, you've got to shut the door really hard and you don't want to have to do it twice if people are watching. So you, t- you tend to slam the door quite hard and then it just pulling away. They're not hard to drive, but they're theatrical. And that's what I think Lamborghini's really good at is being theatrical. They're as much for the people watching as they are for you. But just on that work, what was the what was the setup like? Because you obviously had you were shooting some some bits of video for social. Um, you had Olgan there taking pictures for the magazine. I imagine you had a number of mechanics on standby for when yeah, stuff went wrong. Uh, PRs, you know, was there a big crew standing around watching you slam these doors? That bizarrely, it was actually quite pared back. I don't know what other people did, but we had a PR guy who was there just to help out. There were a couple of mechanics who were back, who just hung out back at the hotel. They weren't following us around or anything. Um, I think the the brake pedal on the 400 <laughs> GT did fall off at one point, so you just had like a little stick to do some braking with. But the they were pretty well looked after. I think they kind of know what we're up to. They know who we are. We've been to Lamborghini a few times. So uh, the trust is was remarkable because there was a, there were, were more journalists there driving historic cars because they got them out. They might as well spread them around the world a bit, little bit. But we were there on pretty much on our own. So we got our own day. Um, and the, only, the, the, the people that outnumbered everybody else was Lamborghini's uh, press uh, photography crew. Because it was like every single second that those cars were out, people were taking pictures of them. 
which I can see because they're not out together. We've got some tracking shots of all of the V12s on the same piece of mountain road at sunset, and you do not see that. You might see one, you might see them at car shows, you don't see them belting around the hills all together, one line astern with people having a bit of fun in them. That was that was the special bit. Because they all, they've got an octave difference between the engines. They sound similar, but they're not the same. So when they're all gunning it up a hill, you can identify which car it is depending on where they are in the song range. And that was that for me was the special bit, was seeing them all together. And I was in the lead car, so I was looking in my rearview mirrors just going, ah, <laughs> look at all that. Look at it go. And then all the mechanics who were driving the other cars were like, let's just go, let's just go, let's go fast. And I was like, Ooh. That's one hell, of a, one hell of a traffic jam. And then, so so then you get to the Audi era cars, the, the VW group stuff. Um, noticeable difference? Do, does it, in the context of having driven all the sort of gnarlier, earlier stuff, do they suddenly feel really sanitised or? They never felt sanitised. They feel easier. Yeah. So they've got air conditioning that works. They've got, you know, electric windows that don't get a bit slow halfway down and then drop into the door frame. You know, they've got better ergonomics. You can actually sit in it and your your legs aren't kinked off to the right. Um I mean these are in left-hand drive cars, but they they, they the one we we drove we drove a Mochilago with a it was called the Versace edition. They did black ones and white ones, and they were very special. But all the stickers that were Versace down the side were peeling off a little bit. So it kind of, it took the shine off it. <laughs> but they, they, you could have a Merchelago with a manual, but this was an e-gear, which is a single input shaft. Yeah, before DSG, really. And they're the ones, the way you change, if it's in auto mode and it changes gear, it goes like that. Yeah, that's the that's the same gearbox that was in the event like development of the, the, those those ISR gearboxes aren't great unless they're at seven thousand eight hundred RPM. Yeah, but they've only just got rid of it. Rivuelto's got a twin clutch now, which yes, is that and that's the, eight speed. Yeah, so that's that's you know right on the money. But the early gearbox, the E gear gearboxes weren't very good, but they're very easy to. Again, they're very easy cars to drive. I mean, I wouldn't want to parallel park them very often, and not not in a London street. But you can drive them and they're dead easy. And there's things like the doors open a little bit wider and the hole that you climb into is a little bit bigger. So it just makes your life easier across the board when you start driving those cars. You can see out them slightly better. I mean, they do have a rear windscreen that's like this, like the size <laughs> of the rear view mirror. Like, why do they bother? What, what, so you can see yeah. the heat haze coming off the engine cover, yeah. I think. yeah. Because yeah. it's cool, <laughs> um, but yeah, they were. That, I mean, but I I drove all of them back when they were launched, so I remember driving SV versions and you know Yotas and all sorts of stuff. Which we, Jack, you you would have been driving them, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. S, um, I did an Aventador SV. I just joined actually. I did an Aventador SVJ Roadster in Dubai, in the desert, and it was a blue one. Yeah, and it got caught in customs for uh, for about four days, so I had to just sit there waiting for it. Going to every day, I'd go to the customs, sort of stand there and wave at them, and then go home again, and then come back. And the deadline for the magazine came and went, and uh, we just had to we sent the pages about three days late. Which um, Esther, if you're listening, it was amazing that you didn't have a major heart attack because it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting one, but amazing car. That was one of my 
first experiences and big V12 Lambos and I was just yeah just blown away by the whole thing but I didn't have the context of having driven the Countach at that point or having driven any of the other the Diablos or anything else so you're just like in isolation there's nothing like it even if they are a bit easier well that's what I felt about the Ultima you know the last one that they did we had an Ultima there as well which is the last car apart from like one or two special edition things that Lamborghini does um, that one was just leagues ahead. So even though it's still got a single shafted gearbox, it was just, that was so good. It's, you know, it's got a carbon fret tub and it's faster. It's got inboard pushrod suspension and it float compared to some of those other cars, it floated across the road and it was so fast. That is still, and it's got a much more sophisticated four wheel drive system. I mean, I still thinking of, you know, that Ultima was seriously rapid but making a headload of noise like really exotic feeling it didn't feel like it was trying to be anything but really shouty and i love that i love i love lamborghinis for being so unapologetic yeah they're just really in your face and i love that and actually i didn't i didn't want the revuelto to be like an nsx you know how the nsx went a bit electric and a bit hybrid and was a it it felt a little bit calmer. I didn't want the river. I don't want the Revuelto to be that. And the Ultima was like, oh, that's a bit good. How are you going to make yeah. the Revuelto better without losing some of those sharp edges that make it exciting? Yeah. Well, I was delighted when I heard the the spec of the Revuelto. I was like, they've done it. They've kept the naturally aspirated engine. It's still a uh, still a V12. You know, it should make all the same noises, if not more. Than the other one, but it will have an extra party trick, which is driving around a few miles on on electric, and that will be fascinating in itself. It's about eight, so it's not very far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting thing was, I, one of the engineers, he, I was looking down the exhaust of the Revuelto, so I think he, he, well, he knew where I was, and he started the car and revved it, and I nearly shot out of my own skin. So he did it on purpose. It still sounds like a V12. Excellent. It's an 800 horsepower V12 still. Excellent. And these, so these V12, um, these V12, mid-engine V12 Lambos, they stick around for a long time. You mentioned that the Countach was just around forever, but on average, it's sort of 10, 12 years before mm. they get around to replacing them. So you think about the Revuelto, uh, 10, 12 years, that's 2035. That's when the UK is supposed to be yeah, low volume Banning production, them anyway. though, isn't it? Yeah. So they don't produce very many cars. So they might get around it if they've got if they can run it on, you know, sustainable fuels and stuff. Yeah, but the, yeah. the the thing that interests me is that do you think the Revuelto looks different enough from the car that went before it? Because there's quite big step changes in all of those generations that we've been talking about. But the Revuelto, if it flashed past you on a motorway, do you think you'd ID it? As easily. Well, the problem is, I think, is that they've, they, they've mixed languages a bit more with the V10 generation cars because you see elements that was in, um, uh, oh, my brain. Technica. Technica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, the lighting and stuff like that. And then a bits of Huracan to the lighting where the V12s are always slightly different. But I thought, and like you were saying, Lambos now are on a apologetically shouty it's what works on tiktok it's why everyone goes and puts crazy exhausts and then you know does christmas turkey cooking out the back of them in harrods and stuff like that on on the street but the 
the thing I thought was most interesting, because in your c- completely normal day of driving every Lamborghini ever, Wookie decided to text the group WhatsApp um, saying, oh, we've managed to commandeer a helicopter pad because there wasn't actually enough space for anything to, to get a picture of all the cars. So the first image we saw was at the end of the day. Yes, he's had a very stressful day. He's been up early, but he's been driving every Lamborghini ever. So our, um, we didn't have too much sympathy for him. But the most interesting thing I thought was the size of the Rev World. So because it's always amazing once you've seen a car in isolation and in a real world. But Jesus, it looked huge because it was parked in the middle. And then, yes, you've got a mirror next door. But even next to an Aventador, it looked, you know, another 50% scale bigger. It, it did look big. But I think there's a slight visual trick to it because it looks bulky. And Aventador looks so good mm. and so clean. Like, you, it's really surprising how much that, that popped up and I went, hmm, that's a good-looking, very simple shape. That's Donkervolker, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But also the Rev Welto, like the Mura, has its gearbox at the back because you've got to put the the batteries go down the spine. So actually, it's, it is it is longer because it kind of has to be. How um, much longer do you know? Is it a good... It's not, it's not masses, to be honest, but, um, but the tail is kind of exaggerated, isn't it? When when you when you're there, the the overhang at the back. I think that what was really nice about the Revuelto, I agree, Ro. It's like kind of a mishmash of stuff we've seen before, just kind of stretched into slightly madder proportions. I love the fact they've just left the engine completely open and exposed at the back, so no, there's no engine cover at all. It's just sitting there, open to the elements. And all the co- comments on the YouTube video um, when we did a walk around saying, but, but won't the engine just get wet? It's like, yes. Well, you probably won't take it out and in the rain. But, yeah. And then you'll literally be finished. Yeah. But I like, sorry, just how they're, they're going to, they're really leaning into, yes, this is our future. We must be electrified. We have all those elements, but we're going to put the engine on display, which we've never done before, so it's out. And then we're also going to make the exhaust pipes turtle head out the back of the bumper so you can see those too so that's where all the emissions come from um but when you see all the cars together like you said jack it's a bit of a mishmash every generation looks previously looks very different to the others um whereas this is this is far more familiar to the but i think that's just where car manufacturers are going they have to have a consistent language throughout it needs to link to a euro some way and to other bits so it's difficult i mean i'm not saying it doesn't look good it does look good but you're dead right it does it we had can you remember on speed week this year we had an like an orange hurricane technica yeah and we all went oh that looks better than i thought it did in real life, it had that lovely kind of angular front end with those black inserts that gave it sort of fangs. Yeah. The Revuelto looks a little bit like that, mm. but it's wider and bigger. But I still think it's it's a little bit more aligned with the design language than the other cars have been before. It's not jumped as far. But then Lamborghini will produce 3 billion special editions with Swarovski crystals on. I was going to say, it's got 12 years of special editions to come. It's going to be looking... Absolutely bonkers. What is the most, the rarest hurricane going to be? It's going to be a bog standard hurricane. Yeah. yeah. Because they, they won't exist in about three years. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I mean, I, th- that day happened and then I ended up on an, an airplane the next morning. And it wasn't till the next morning and I was flicking through my phone that I started to actually realize what I'd been able to do and how lucky I was. It was one of those ones where, it, you're so busy 
and you're, tr- you're trying to get through all the cars and you're worrying that one might break or something might go wrong and you need to get it done. So you sort of don't enjoy yourself on the day. You've got film and photography and stuff. And you look through your phone on, on the aeroplane on the way home and think, I've got a lot of pub story here. <laughs> this is amazing. You've got a lot of pub story anyway, Work. So this is just... It was you know. good. It was good. And I was knackered and I'd sweated in every single one of those cars. <laughs> so I've left some DNA Ooh. in every single historic Lamborghini V12. Yeah, the values of the cars have gone down a little bit because of that. But, uh, you know... Well, they have now because there's a little bit less tyre on them. <laughs> Well, look, I, I, it's um, yeah, it's a phenomenal thing for you to have done and and uh, and for us to have pulled off the. It's it's the uh, big feature in the magazine. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen pages. I think we got on that. Um, a lot of cars to cover off, so we needed a lot of pages. I wrote nearly five thousand worlds, and you made me edit it to three thousand. I didn't. I think that must have been Esther. Very much did. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Space is at a premium, um, but but also there's some there's some videos of you driving them. They're on the uh, uh, Top Gear Facebook page right now. So go and go and check those out. And yes, go online for for, for loads more info on and in individual reviews of all the cars because obviously we wanted to squeeze every last piece of content out of this opportunity we could. Um, and in no way am I jealous. I mean. It, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to get that opportunity, am I? That's Not it. in the same day. You'll probably get to drive the cars at some point, but you'll mm. never get it like that, which was literally to walk from one to the other and yeah. drive through the ages. It was like a Disney animation, like the man growing from the ape into something else. <laughs> that that was me on that day. I grew up with Lamborghini. I did 60 years of Lamborghini in about 12 hours. And it was cool. Well, you're a lu- you're a lucky man. Next month, um, Honda Jazz Hybrid for you. Just That's to fine. I just like to that. restore some balance in the universe. <laughs> Actually, I know what you've just you've just commissioned me to do. So uh, no, it isn't. But we'll wait until another podcast <laughs> That's to reveal for another what I'm doing next month. All yeah. right. Next month's car is only worth one point six million as a base price. So uh, I like to keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining Wookie and Rowan. And I hope that was fun, people. Check out all our other channels, social channels, website, magazine, the lot. Get involved. Leave a comment uh, and tell us what you think of this pod and what your favourite mid-engined V12 Lamborghini is. If you listen on Spotify, there's a cool new poll function underneath the podcast there. Um, Okay, let's wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jack says, subscribe.